this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, we believe these songs that we've sung. Lord, if we were to disagree, we wouldn't sing them. But Father, these are attributes that we found in you to be a redeemer, to be a restorer, to be a healer, to be a finisher of what you've started, Lord. The Bible says that you are the alpha and the omega. You're the beginner and you're the finisher. You're not like man that you just give up halfway on a job, that you get frustrated, that you just quit in the middle of the process. But, Lord, you've started this work, and we believe with all of our hearts that you're faithful to finish what you've begun. It is so exciting and encouraging to know that Satan didn't begin this. This isn't his work. This isn't what Satan wants. Satan fights this every chance he gets. He's constantly against us. He's trying to always do anything he can to subvert or pervert or, or tear apart what you're doing here. But, but thanks be to God this morning, Satan's defeated. And every demon in hell with him is all defeated because you, the mighty conqueror, is able to finish and accomplish what concerns us, Lord. We believe this this morning. We thank you for the faith in our hearts to believe such a great and mighty promise. Lord, as we stand here this morning missing many of our brothers and sisters are out sick this morning, we pray that you would minister to that need, that you, the great balm of Gilead, would take your nail-scarred hands, Lord, and, and wrap around them today, and, and that they might know once again that you are a healer, that you're the binder of the broken heart, or that you're setter of the captives free, Lord. We believe this promise. We claim by your stripes our brothers and sisters are healed today. We pray, Lord, as it comes to the ministry of the Word. The ground's been tilled. Our hearts are good and cultivated, Lord, in the atmosphere of worship. And we pray, Lord, as your Word comes forth. There's, there's so much available to the, the believers in this day, Lord, but so much more than ever before. Let us not miss it this morning. Let us not be distracted and let us not get thinking of other things. But, Lord, let us sit diligently at your feet and hang on every single word. We surrender all that we are to you this morning, Lord, not just the lips of the speaker, not just my heart, not just my mind, but, Lord, circumcise also the, the, the ears that are of the hearer, Lord, in their heart that they might be able to catch it. They might be able to see what you're seeing, Lord. These aren't my ideas. These aren't my wills, Lord. This is what your word declares. As a matter of fact, it says it's manifestly declared, which it means it's becoming visible in our saints, in, in these saints, in these bodies of believers here, Lord. We can see that fruit. That's how we know it's true because you're a living God and there's no death in you. We appreciate you. 
and we thank you for your kindness, and we give you all of ourselves, Lord. Have your way today in this service. Bless all those that watch the recording, Lord. Bless them in their homes, wherever they might be. And we ask these things in your beautiful and precious and lovely name. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. While you're standing, if you'll take your, <coughs> excuse me, your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're missing quite a few people this morning, so you have to say amen a little bit louder to make up for them. Be in prayer for our brothers and sisters. We have a lot of folks that are sick today. And Satan did not enjoy our services last weekend. He did not enjoy them whatsoever. He's been uh, quite offended and put out ever since. Uh, even down to Wednesday night, we have so many people that are sick directly after the meetings. We had uh, the, the, the Internet wouldn't stream. It was broke all up. We got about eight minutes of the preaching on Wednesday night. Satan didn't like that either. Even now, we ring the bell twice um, two different times before each service at 930 and at 945. We rang it at 930. At 945, it's like, nope, no more ringing. He didn't even want the bell to ring. But he's defeated. But he's defeated. So even in the discouraging parts, even in the things that Satan might seem like he gets traction, it's a pleasure and it's our joy in our life to say, Satan, I'm going to remind you today you're defeated. And we're not. Our Lord declares it. God bless you this morning. If you'll take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 21. Now in this, um, Adam has been searching for help meet, and God had made that statement. It's not good for man to be alone. And verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. He closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, or he built it into a woman from the very rib from Adam's side. And he brought her unto the man. He brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is Adam's testimony after seeing her, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You may be seated this morning. We're carrying on part 15 of our study and our look and examination in the rapture. And we, I love uh, to, to keep going back. It's an exciting thing to take that, that, that quote from Christ the mystery. Brother Ram said uh, that once the seals were open, once those mysteries are finished, that now it's made the Bible a brand new book. Then if you can't go back and see the Lord Jesus Christ on every single page from Genesis to Revelation, he said, you need to go back and read it again. Now, Jesus, the scripture declares that every scripture that speaks of the groom also speaks of the bride because you are him. You are him. This is the words of Jesus. He said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, he'd say it like this, that I'm the vine and you are the branches. And you look at even in the Old Testament as Moses was being told how to design the candles that would sit upon the Ark of the Covenant or the type of the presence of the Lord or the Word and, and that the way that they would draw strength from. They would have these knops that would run up to feed the candle that is for the flame, but it would dip back down into a source of oil. 
that source of oil is that same statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're not pulling our, 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 um, our, our strength, our power, our authority, our life, our love. We're not pulling it out of anything but the Word of God. That's what we're pulling it out of this morning. I'm not preaching to you this morning out of a, of a dead denomination or, or a day gone I'm not preaching out of you, Paul's day or out of, out of Wesley's day. And those days, I'm preaching out of the revealed Word of this hour. And that's how that you know that you have the Holy Ghost is that you can believe the Word for this day. That's what that new birth is to you, that you can say, that's mine. That's what God's doing right now. It doesn't benefit one person in this room to say, well, you know, Paul had a great day, and, and Peter and James and John, and, and their shadow would do this, and they would lay hands on someone, and they do that, and you'll say, that's, that's wonderful. Those, those, and those testimonies will encourage your heart, and it shows you what can be done. Because if God would do it then, he's the same today as he was back then. So if he could do it then, he could do it in the heart today that would believe it. So as you look back and say, Lord, that's wonderful for what you did in their day. And I think that's such amazing things that you did in their day. And all of that's available and accessible to the bride, to the wife of Christ. But also in this day, something greater has happened. It's not just to heal the sick. It's not just to lay the hands on. It's not just to set the captives free, but he himself has come down. He himself has pulled the seals off the book. He himself has said, look and see what was hidden before the foundation of the world. That's what he himself has said. This is Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. There is a mighty angel that come down, put one foot up on the sea, one foot up on the shore. He had in his head a little book open. That little book had your name on it. Come on now, that little book had your name on it. It wasn't just Paul's name or, or anybody else's name. That book had my name on it. And even we say this all the time about John. John was so impressed with all the wonders and things that he saw. And, and John was impressed with this and this. But when he saw his name on the book, he said, everybody under the earth, everybody on the earth, everybody in heaven heard me screaming, glory, glory, hallelujah. My name is there. My name is there. I've identified with that name wrote down. I've identified. I've identified. There's a quote that Bethany's put up on the board for our, our, um, our, our your, your, your pre-service, and I, I was able to share it, had a brother speaking with this morning, and, and he was calling me, talking to me about the statue, that message, the statue of a perfect man, and he was asking different things, the way contractors work, and, and the way the different licenses work, just as if a natural type versus the statue, Brother Peter said, add under your faith, add under your virtue, add under your righteousness, add, keep building and keep building and keep building, and and it's interesting that he asked me this morning about that, that, that actual sermon being Wednesday night. She just put this quote on the board. And even Wednesday, as discouraging as it might have been, you keep that would, that would pop up on the board. And I'll read it to you. Brother Bram said, we're not building an organization. This is how the message, the statue of a perfect man, 1962. He said, we're not building an organization. I'm not here this morning to build an organization. Christ never sent me to build an organization. Christ, listen to this, sent me to build individuals to the stature of Jesus Christ. Glory to the stature of Jesus Christ. Tell you what for. You ready? Listen, this is what for. That they might be the powerhouse and the dwelling place of the Spirit. Whoa, that's good. The powerhouse and the dwelling of the Spirit. Well, I'm just ordinary, old, normal person. Not if he's inside. Not if he's inside. You're not ordinary. Ain't nothing ordinary about you. That he might build individuals to the stature of Jesus Christ, that they might be the powerhouse and the dwelling place of the Spirit. 
by his word. By his word, not someone else's word, but by his word, by his word. See, build an individual to that place. What a promise. Build an individual to that place. Now, the word, the life, the living God. Now, as you, as you take and you can see what God has hid in mystery um, for, for so long, there, there's another quote, I want, I'll get back to those just a minute. There's another quote I want to read to you. And, and, and I, this thought has been built from this particular statement. Let me get this built and pull back up here. In the message, Christ the Mystery, one of my most favorite sermons, um, there's a brother that I heard preaching just a few months ago, and I've heard Christ the Mystery of God revealed, I don't know, 60, 70 times. Powerful sermon, powerful sermon. It, it, is, it is amazing, absolutely amazing. In paragraph 105, this brother was reading, and again, I've heard this a lot, and, and I'll read this to you, and I'll read it right through, then I'll go back and I'll make the note this brother pointed out that I never caught before. Uh, this brother, Stephen Francis, he's passed away recently, used to be in South Africa there. He said, God had a purpose. This is Christ's mystery God revealed, paragraph 105, 1963, July 28th. Paragraph 105, Sister Erica. God had a purpose and a hidden mystery. He said, that's what I want to speak to on this morning. He said, speak to on the church this morning. The hidden mystery of God that he had in his mind before the world ever began. So before God started spinning the globe, before he lit the sun, before he hung the stars, before he created dirt and dust and air and molecules, before any of that, this was what was on God's mind, that he would reveal the hidden mystery of God that he had in his mind before the world ever began and how that unfolded how that it's unfolded itself right down right down from back then all the way to this present hour that we're living right now where we're living he says see then you will understand clearly then you see on i believe what is being done paragraph 106 god's great mystery of how it's a secret he kept it a secret nobody know nothing about it even the angels didn't understand it that's the truth god didn't even show the angels See, he didn't reveal it. That's the reason under our seventh mystery, when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence. Jesus, when he was on earth, they wanted to know when he would come, Matthew 24. They wanted to know when he would come. And he said, it's not even the son himself don't know when it's going to happen. See, God had all this to himself. It's a secret. That's the reason there was silence in heaven for about the space of a half hour when the seventh seal was open. Seven thunders uttered their voices. John was even forbidden to write it. See the coming of the Lord. That's one thing he hasn't revealed yet of how he will come and when he will come. It's a good thing that he doesn't. See, I've heard this so many times, I just kept on trucking right through. But he said, it's a good thing that he doesn't. He said, no. But Brother Brown's voice doesn't change inflection. It's a good thing he doesn't. No, I'll carry on. He has showed it and revealed it in every type that's in the Bible, every single type from Genesis to Revelation. So as I'm processing these words coming out of the prophet's mouth, it's been hidden. He never showed it. He never showed it. This one little two-letter word says, no, he showed it every single type in the Bible. I said, I've heard that message so many times. Okay, Brother Ram said he didn't show it. He didn't show it. But you got to understand what he, he actually said. No, he did show it. He did make it clear. If you go back with the revelation, you can see in every part of the Bible, the coming of the Lord, 
the opening of the seven seals, the rapture, the bride, the mystery truths hid this day. You see the excitement? Because this is you. This isn't just, well, I now live in 2023. No, this run you at least back to Genesis 2. And I'll read this to you again here in Genesis 2. God had made the statement. This wasn't Adam's statement. Adam's like, well, Lord, I've been looking at the world here. I'm God of this earth. I move a tree if I need to. I speak to the mountain if I need to. Any of these things that I need to do. But, Lord, I'm lonely. Would you by chance maybe want to make a helpmate for me? Adam didn't tell God that. Adam put, God puts Adam on the earth. He, he created male and female together. He created them in spirit form first, and then he put Adam into a body. He created a body for Adam to step into. At that same time, that spirit of Eve was in him. His wife, she wasn't called Eve yet. His wife, that other female, the feminine part of him was in Adam when Adam was stepped into that body. He was spirit first, then he stepped into a body. The Bible teaches this. So then he's in that body, and now he's lonely. He has no way to access the attributes of himself. And you would obviously say that if, if, if Adam and Eve in spirit form are living in the same body, he doesn't have the same way to touch the attribute of himself, the feminine part of himself, that part of him that completes him. Now, she's on the inside of him, and she, he knows that she's there, and God knows all of that potential that's there. But until she's been expressly manifested, expressly declared, he cannot have fellowship. He can't love her. He can't touch her. He can't uh, sense her in any way whatsoever. But she must be separated from his side, must be separated from his side so that he can now have his expressed attribute as a husband. That part of him as a husband, all the creatures on the earth only knew Adam as the caretaker, as the gardener, as the God of this world. If you need this moved, if you need this done, Adam is there to do this. That's why God set him there to care for the garden, to, to, to be the gardener of that world and to be the God of this world. That's the way God said, not for worship, but be able to do the things it takes to keep things moving. Very simple, very basic things. But at the time, at the same time, Adam is lonely. So, and, and it's so amazing that what God does, he knows that about Adam. He knows that Adam is lonely. And what God does for him, he says, now, I can tell Adam that you're lonely, but what I need you to do first, I need you to name every species, every beast, every animal, everything on this planet. Now, you yourself would think, why wait? Why wait? Why would you do that? But you can see the mind of God. Even as the Bible, as it lays these things out, and you're you're reading what it says, it's too easy to miss what's actually going on. So you break this down into this moment. You've got a man that's lonely. You've got a man that's in a human flesh like you that has passions, that has desires, that has wants, that has these things, and he's lonely. So what God does is says, I want to see how he'll answer. I want to see how he'll respond. So here's what we'll do. We'll run every species of life on this planet before him. There's this, there's this, there's this. You bring down to the, the, the fish, to every creeping and crawling thing, every flying thing, all of these forms all the way up until you get the very next form right before humanity, and that's the serpent. Because God created every creature, male and female. So if there was a male serpent, there must also be a female serpent. 
The scripture, I, I can read it to you. If he created every creature, male and female, Adam was the only one on the planet that you could only see at this point one attribute, one male, that if there was a male serpent, there was a female serpent. If the serpent himself was you know, the most subtle, the most, uh, most beautiful uh, creature on the planet at the time, the way he looked and all those things that he was, then you think his wife was ugly compared to him? She would have, I would imagine, a very sexual-looking thing because if the serpent's a very sexual-looking thing, then the, the, the female serpent must be the same way. So a man in his flesh and his desires and things that maybe the, we've had to all struggle with, he marches not just every other creature right before him, but then marches Mrs. Serpent right in front of him, where you know, the devil, run, he'll run in front of you all day long. Your heart's not going, I want to marry that woman. I want to, no, you're like, no, I don't want that. Adam looked at her and said, that's beast. That's not wife. He didn't look at Mr. Serpent and say wife. He said, that's beast. There's nothing there. That's, that's just beast. This is in the original. That's just the beast. But then when he sees Eve, God, and you, you look at that type of Christ, that God put him in a deep sleep. He put him in a deep sleep, the same type of deep sleep that he talks about he does to Abraham. He puts Abraham into a deep sleep, and he brings all these things out to him. So Adam goes into this deep sleep, and the Bible says that God performed a surgery on him, that he took his rib out of his side, and he pulled that apart of him. So if Adam is designed to worship, from you, you have you know, the scripture it talks about in Revelation chapter 4, you have, you have your heart, which is meant to be the throne of God. And in that very direct center, that's where he sits. On the outside of that, you have four valves, four chambers, which are a type of the four living creatures before the throne. Out past that, you have 12 ribs per side that cover up that throne. That's the four and 24 elders that sit before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 that sits there and guards that. So if God chose to take from the very mercy seat, from the very mercy seat of Adam's side, right there where we cover the mercy seat and take it, and the Bible says he built a woman. God built a woman for Adam out of that part of Adam. God built it. So if God took materials from this person, then whatever is built is still this person. Whatever is built, if I'm taking a rib out of this, then you have the same concept of cloning. That if you're going to take uh, DNA or something from this thing, you're just going to make a copy of whatever that is. That's a very perverted look, but, but that's a copy of what it is. So if God took a rib and built another woman, then he built another Adam in a female form, expressed in that attribute. Now, this was something that would be, as far as something that she still had things she could struggle with. She still had things she could make mistake in. She was still human, did not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Each one of us, without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, will make every mistake possible. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost will keep you from that. It'll give you a stay in power. If you fall down, you'll get back up and keep saying, Lord, forgive me. I'll keep walking your way. Lord, have mercy on me. It won't be, well, I guess I'm done. I'm, I just nothing left for me. I might as well go on out of the world. No, the Holy Ghost will let you stay. It'll keep you because it's unbought you. So if you were to fast forward 4,000 years from this moment, you have the Lord Jesus, your husband, on a cross. They take a spear and they stab it into his side. He's in a deep sleep. They take a spear, the prophet said, and stabbed him into his left side. The water and the blood poured out of him. That life of you was separated at Calvary. Your part, that feminine part, just like Adam, God pulled him out. The prophet said, God pulled you out of him at the cross. And the only way you could come out is if the price was paid. 
He wouldn't let his wife walk out into this world unless that price was paid. People want to say, well, the Satan is this and Satan is this. Satan's only desire is to pervert in the most heinous and, and unimaginable things. And that same desire you find in a lot of invading kings and other armies when they go to take over in an evil form, when they go to try to try to destroy another country or, or take over another city, they don't want to just kill the, the pawns or the, the knights or the armies. They don't want to even just kill the king. Most of them want to go in and take the king's wife. It's, it's very common in history that it doesn't just please them to destroy them. Their goal is that the other thing that I can do is to take your wife. It's just common. You see Satan's desire in that. And that's what God, right away, Satan wanted to steal Adam's wife. You see Satan's plan and, and concept and idea all along the way. So that was his also plan. That So what we've done now, we brought sin, we brought unbelief, we brought doubt into the world through what he did with Eve, that Eve sold out her birthright. She disbelieved God's word. She let unbelief come into her heart. And the way that Satan does it, you find a very similar instance. I think it's Psalms 106 that, that with Moses, the children of Israel pressed him and pressed him and pressed him and pressed him till they made him almost just frustrated in his spirit. Serpent did the same thing to Eve. He didn't just walk by one day, hey, you want to whatever? And she's like, no. He's okay. Thanks. For, sorry, for, sorry for bothering you. No, he's back the next day, back the next day, back the next day, wearing her out, wearing her out, nonstop pressing at her 24 hours a day, fall, 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 fall. And she finally gave up. She's like, you know what? We're not even supposed to look at it. Made her to start to twist the word. She now added something that was not said. They were not told not to look at it. They were told not to eat of it, to partake of it. Now she's added to the word, Revelation 22. If you add to the book, all the plagues in the book will be added to you. If you take from the book, all the, your name will be taken on the Lamb's book of life. He pressed her and pressed her and pressed her and pressed her till she added to the word. That's how Satan got in, through unbelief. So now, this ugly marked sin, this mark of sin and curse of unbelief is upon the planet. Now there's no way to get from, from here to him. There's no way whatsoever. But God would not let it stay that way. God said, she's mine and she will come to me. But I cannot put her into that kind of environment until I made an access, I made an avenue, I made a way for her to get back to me. So he wouldn't even separate her until the price of atonement was made. He wouldn't even pull her out of the side until he knew she was safe. He knew she was safe. Knew it! He wasn't wondering, I don't know if she's going to make it. She might fall tomorrow. She might be just deceived tomorrow. No, Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh. It ain't even possible that she'd be deceived. He said, it's not even possible. It might be so close that they might be deceived. He said, no, she won't be deceived. He said, I guarantee it. He said, I promise. I promise. He took the, from the man and he made a woman. And then he brought her unto the man. What if he had made Adam and Adam was lonely? And then he knew Adam needed something. So what he does, he takes out of Adam that rib and creates this woman and then moves her so far from Adam that Adam can never, I feel like now something's missing. Where is she? I know she exists somewhere now. Where could she be? Where could she be? No, God said, I brought her to you. 
I didn't just make her. I didn't just design her. I didn't just make her tangible and reachable and touchable in this world. I brought her to you. You read the scripture. The Lord brought her to him. And he said, now what do you say? And Adam, who's had all this time to say, that was a beast. That was a beast. That was a beast. He said, that's a wife. That's my wife. She's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Where does life start? Your life does not start in your skin. Your life starts in, in, at the moment of conception, and that seed comes forth. They say the first thing to be built is the spinal cord, and everything is built off of that. It's all wrapping and wrapping. But inside of that cell, on the inside of the inside, and Hebrews talks about that the Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and the divider down to the very bone and the marrow. He devolves even down into there. That's where he is. He takes it all the way back to the very beginning where he said, let there be. Where he said, let there be. And that's where he built it. He took a part of God. God, Elohim, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took a rib out of his side. And now he built God. And he said, that's my wife. So again, if he became you so that you can become him, what's that make you? I'm him. So he would say, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. And my point would be in all of this that to be able to, to pull out of uh, just a couple different types in the Scripture as time, of course, speeds up on us, to be able to pull out that, that opening of the seventh seal, that, that revelation of the Lamb coming down, that, that mighty conqueror prevailing. And you see what God did right there, that God split the side of Adam. He split, in essence, split him apart to take a rib out, and God opened that seventh seal up out of Adam to pull himself out. See, it wasn't pulling out another person. It wasn't pulling out someone else. He pulled that part of Adam out, and then Adam said, now, she's a feminine version of me. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. No different than in this day. The mysteries of God should be finished. Revelations 10, 7, when that seventh angel message begins to sound, the mysteries of God should be partly done. Some of them, no, finished. Finished. See, in this same message I'm quoting to you from, Brother Brown said, I've Christ the mystery God revealed that in you, in you, the word of God is completed. In me, finished, finished. The mystery that's been hid before the foundation of the world is finished in me, in you. You are the bride's word. You are his word completed completed. God pulled out of Adam, that part of Adam, and Adam said, that's my wife. And then he said, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and be with her, cleave to her, walk with her, live with her. It's no longer me and my daddy and my mama or me or her and her daddy and mama. It's us together. We'll walk together. Everything we do, we'll do together. We're not to be separated. We're not to be pulled apart. And again, you can easily find Satan's desire. Let me split that family. Let me make them mad at them and, and have all these things come together where now neither one of you can stand to be in the same room. You get all kinds of grudges against each other. That's the plan of Satan. That's not the plan of God. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, just to kind of speed up here a little bit, let's jump over to Exodus chapter 10. Fast forwarding over to the first Exodus, 
the first exodus. Hebrew Exodus chapter 10, verses 16. Exodus chapter 10, verse 16. Chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. All these plagues are coming down on him. They're just falling down on him. And every time he, God does something, he gives him a peace. God gives a peace, and he, he keeps hardening his heart at the same time. Uh, chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I've sinned against the Lord your God. He didn't say my God. He said, I've sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. He's like, I'll concede that you're the Lord, your God, but you only forgive me this once. He said, pray thee, forgive me my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord, your God, that he may take away from me this death only. Only the death. That's all he wants taken away. Only the death. The problem isn't the death. That's not the problem. It's the hardened heart. It's that, that he has a heart that can be hardened. And no matter what happens, and you find, you find the same thing throughout the Scripture, that even God's own people's hearts kept getting hardened. God would open the Red Sea. That's wonderful. We love you. That's great. And then the next day, He's not so great. God will give him manna falling from heaven. Oh, you God, you're great. And the next day, he's not so great. He will give him water out of a rock. God, you're great. The next day, he's not so great. Constantly, constantly, constantly tempting him, turning away from him, saying, no, 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 no. And even you find the Lord Jesus Christ, when he finally comes the first time in that vehicle of that body for a sacrifice, they said, great, you're here to deliver us from Rome so that now we will rule, we will conquer, we will be the ruling authority, and we ain't got to put up with them no more. And he said, I don't even care about them. I want your heart. I only want your heart, and you keep it so Far from me. I don't care about your taxes. I don't care about this. I care about your heart. The Bible tells you, rend your hearts, not your garments. And you keep finding the scripture. Canvas just did it. Italian did it. They just ripped their garments. They ripped their garments. He said, no, rend your heart. Open your heart up to me. Let me have your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. Well, I can serve him half-heartedly. I can give him a little bit. I can give him Sunday and Wednesday, maybe. Some. No, no, no. Give him all of your heart. All of your heart. He said, and all these things will be added unto you. You have people that spend their whole life in church that go 50 years, even in the message, and it don't matter what you're in. They sit there, no matter what they're hearing, and won't let him in, won't let him have it, won't let him give it. But the thing about the Holy Ghost is once you've had that new birth experience, that he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. So if you're in a place that you're not having all truth, guess what? He promised that he would lead you and guide you into all truth. This is his promise. This is what he said. So, that he may take away from me this death only, verse 17. Verse 18, he went out from Pharaoh, and in, this is Moses. Okay, I will do that. 
You're asking me to ask God to forgive you. I'll go do that. I'll entreat the Lord. Verse 18, he went out from Pharaoh and he entreated the Lord. Here's what God did. The Lord turned a mighty, strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all of the coasts of Egypt. God took a mighty wind, Remember, we read out of 1 Kings 19 Wednesday night about those winds that come through. But God took a mighty wind and removed a scourge and a plague from a land that was evil. God took it and blew it in the Red Sea, all because they said, please forgive me. Will you do this? And God said, of course. You said the right thing. We mentioned that Wednesday, on Wednesday night, Acts 2.38. What must I do, Peter? Repent, repent, repent. Okay, Lord, forgive me. That's what I want. That's what I want. Keep walking. Keep coming. There's more. There's more. But when you say, who do you think you are? I don't have to do that. God did it. God turned a mighty strong wind, and he blew all the locusts into the Red Sea. Now, this wasn't a, uh, I, I wouldn't imagine, a 200-mile-an-hour hurricane-force winds that come through and took all the buildings and all the people and all the chariots and all the horses and blew everything in the wind. This is God being so specific to come through there and catch one locust, catch one locust, catch one locust, and funnels them right in the Red Sea. Now, he put them into a sea. That's very, very particular appointment. You'll find all throughout the Scripture what God does with the sea. God took those plagues, and he put them into the Red Sea. He took a plague, you read the same thing, and he put them into the sea. The, the, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelations how that there are 200 million million demons hid away in the river Euphrates in that water, hid away. And you also find in Revelations 10.1, a mighty angel comes down, put one foot upon the sea, one foot upon the shore. God's showing who is God. Showing who is God. You A lot of times you think if you had a plague at your house, we've had a plague before of locusts, not locusts, but of grasshoppers. We've had uh, ladybugs. We've had flies. It just, it just wouldn't be like, my goodness, how many flies? How many? But you think you think it's a plague. It's only 20 or 30, but you think it's a plague. But can you imagine every wall blacked out with just locusts or flies or grasshoppers or something like that? That's a plague. Everywhere you look is just all those things. That's a plague. But God is the ability to take it and remove it if you repent, if you turn back, if you yield your heart to him. If, 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 if. Now, turn over with me to 2 Kings. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. 1 Kings, I jumped too far. No, we'll do that. We'll catch that one first. We'll catch 2 Kings first. We'll see the purpose of what he wants. 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 17. Now, at the end of this, Ahab has been destroyed. Ahab is dead. Ahab is, and, and all the, um, the, the cities were built up, all the, uh, all the places that had the altars, that had all the, all the things that served Baal, all the things that worshiped Baal. And we'll jump back to 1 Kings in just a minute. But you, you'll find everything that Ahab did with, uh, with Jezebel being his queen, that she was able to bring in this false worship, this false word, this false god. And it ties even from here back to Revelation chapter 2 that you went in the way of Balaam that was sold out his gift to, to, to Balak, the son of Bosor. <clears throat> chapter 10, verse, chapter 11, verse 17. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. The priest made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be someone else's people. The Lord's people. 
only the Lord's people, only the Lord's people, between the king also and the people, that they should be the Lord's people between the king and also and the people, only the Lord's people. That was after all of these things are being straightened up and and starting to step forward and, and make things right. The right desire, the right heart, the right love for God was that we belong to him and to him only. Now, turn back with me to the to, to first Kings. First Kings chapter 18. Now, this is just bouncing back to the last book before this, and you've uh, had an idea of what Ahab has been doing, the, the wife that he married. See, a- a- Ahab, a son of God, he was a son of God, uh, a-, a son of the house of Israel, a, probably a-, a descendant of Abraham, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was an actual seed of God you know, from that lineage, and yet here what he did, he had the same test every man of us has to taste. test. He had a-, a female serpent walked in front of him. And Jezebel, in all that she was, in her pretty, in her makeup, in her jingling, in her, her painting her face. And the Bible, as you get over right before she's destroyed by, uh, is it Jehu that destroys her? Who's the one that kills Jezebel? My mind always tricks, it gets me there. But, but right before she knew he was coming to kill her, the Bible says, and she painted her face. She knows the man's coming to kill her. The Bible says, and she painted her face. Her desire was to now to try to uh, subtle in, in the way of seducing him, to try to trick him. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Don't put me away. Look how pretty you think that I might be. Well, I think that I am. All that will build up to say where we're at. Chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I'll send rain upon the earth. In the third year, this is after the, the, the drought has been upon the earth, Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house, of the king's house, and in parentheses, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them by fifty in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. Ahab said unto Abahab, Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go unto the land, unto all fountains of water, unto all brooks, peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. Now they're in a famine, they're in a drought, they're in a plague because of sin and unbelief, no different than Egypt was. These are the children of Israel. They had done be, become and now brought upon themselves the same things the children, that, that Egypt had upon them. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself. Obadiah went another way by himself. And you interesting, Ahab, see, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is death. The scripture teaches there's a way that seems right, and it, the Bible it takes the time to say that Ahab went one way, Obadiah went another way. When Obadiah went the other way, what did he do? He met the prophet of God. What a coincidence. What a just happenstance. Just happened to 50-50 flip a coin, and, and now I picked the right way, and oh my goodness, there's the word of the Lord. No. Wise men still seek him. So Ahab, you know, they divided the land between them to pass throughout. Ahab went one way by himself. Obadiah went another way by himself. Verse 7, and as Obadiah was in the way, was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. Elijah the prophet met him, and he knew him. He realized that's Elijah the prophet, your man of God. He realized that. 
And he answered him. He said, um, he, he said, he knew him, fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him and said, I am. Go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Elijah is, go tell your Lord, go tell them, Elijah is here. You see the type of our day right there? Elijah is here. And here's Obadiah's request. And he said, what have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? And Elijah wasn't ignorant. Elijah didn't go, what do you mean by that? I don't understand. What are you getting at, Obadiah? No, he knew what was going on. Is the Lord thy God living? There's no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, he is not there, he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. He is not there. So wherever he searched, whatever kingdom, wherever it would, is Elijah here? No, swear it. You swear it and give an oath by it. You're sure. We've searched everywhere. He's not here. You can believe us. He's not here. Now, Elijah was the second rapture in the Old Testament. Enoch was the first rapture in the Old Testament. What was said about Enoch? That he was not found because God took him. He was not found because God took him. So he said, uh, that he's not there. He took an oath to the king of the nation. They found thee not. And now, verse 11, thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Again, type of our day. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from thee that the spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find thee and he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord that what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. He shall slay me. You know, the, the devil don't want you witnessing to nobody. He don't want you testifying to nobody. He don't want you to tell nobody that the God of Elijah is here. He don't want you to tell nobody that God has sent that third use, that fourth use of that prophet Elijah. He don't want nobody telling you that. He wants you to keep it quiet. Maybe he'll kill you. Maybe they won't be friends with you no more. Maybe, 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 maybe. But Satan's still a liar. Satan is still defeated. And Satan knows that you overcome him by the word of your testimony. Satan knows this. And you look at Obadiah, it's like, I know that he's probably going to kill me over this. And Elijah said, verse 15, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and Ahab told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass, listen to this most ridiculous statement, that Elijah's, uh, verse, uh, verse 17, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Elijah the prophet, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? All of this stuff is your fault. Everything that's going on is your fault. We're having a famine in the land. People are dying because of your fault. You did this. You did this. You did this. Isn't it interesting that I demon on a man, that I, that me monster that would say, it's not my fault. I did nothing wrong. It's all you or you or you or whomever we can point at. Elijah answered him, verse 18, 
I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed Balaam. Balaam. This is many, many years after the prophet Balaam, the false prophet Balaam. But he said, you're still following him. You're still following that twisted and tainted word, a falsely anointed prophet of God. And to see that the Bible says that gifts and callings are without repentance. Gifts and callings are without repentance. That if there's a gift of God on someone's life, if they don't surrender that gift to God, you, you can yourself make a many situations people wouldn't surrender a gift of God. If you can sing, if you have the ability to sing, that's a gift from God. That's not a gift of Satan. If you have the ability to do anything, that comes from God. That don't come from Satan. Satan don't do anything for good. Satan will never do anything for you for good. Satan hates you with all. He don't care if you bow down and worship him every second of the day. Satan still hates you. Satan will never give you anything good. Anything Satan gives you is death. It might look pretty. It might look shiny. It might give you a little, little bit of a, a feeling for a moment, but it's all death. It's all death. There's no life in it whatsoever. <clears throat> whatsoever. There's no life in it. Verse 19, now therefore sin and gather to me all Israel under Mount Carmel. And, and I'm having to, I, I want to read this entire chapter. I know it's a lot of reading, but I'm trying to, to, to build up something to show you what's happened and, and what of a type of our day in this same point as far as the coming of the Lord, as far as the rapture, and as far as Revelations 10. Therefore send, gather to me all Israel under Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the grove, which are 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people, and he asked this question. This is all of the people. And they ask him this question, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long will you sit? How long will you try to, uh, struggling with the same question that Joshua asked? Joshua asked that question. He said, it's for me and my house. You choose this day whom you'll serve, but it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Now he asked him, how long are you going to sit halt between two opinions? And when things aren't, uh, when you're in, your, you're in your sin and your unbelief, you'll serve whatever else. But as soon as something goes bad and you need God, oh, now we serve God. Now we want God. Now we want God because I know you're about to die. But as soon as that thing is fixed, you go right back to the water and the muck and the mud that you was in before. Because you won't give yourself to him. You won't make your calling and election sure. You won't make your calling and election sure. How long halt ye between two opinions? Listen to these powerful prophetic words. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. He got right in their face. He stepped right on their toes. And he said, if God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And it was justifiably quiet. What would have happened if they just started chanting Baal right then and there? You know, just a, few, a little bit after this, that, that you find that he's sitting on the side of a mountain and Ahab's son told him, so you, go get, you go get, this is First Second Kings 1, you go get a Elijah. We know where he's at. Go get him. This, this captain of this 50 walks up there and said, man of God, come down here. And God, he calls down fire to heaven and burns him all up right there before him. Who was God? Baal or Jehovah? The Lord Jesus Christ or Baal? He is God. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
There will only ever be one major prophet on the earth at one time. One at one time. Now, you have the carryover between Elijah and Elisha, but Elisha's desire was, I want a double portion of what you've got. I want a double of what you've got. And that will God granted his desire. Elijah told him, if you see me, when I go, you'll get your request. But now he's saying that I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, this prophet of God is, if he's a prophet of God, is speaking the words of God. That would be easy to understand. Okay, he's not just shooting off at the mouth. He's not just sitting around going, you know what, what should I say to those people? No, God has done told him there's one prophet, and I am God. I'm the creator of heavens and earth. I am the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Elohim, and I have one man standing on the earth for me as a prophet, but this nothing has 450, this nothing This piece of wood, this piece of garbage, this nothing has all these other men that are supposed prophets of God. He said, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, put no fire, put no fire under, put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullet, lay it on wood, and put no fire in it. We will both do the same thing. That word under is italicized for a reason. Put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. Now, in just the very next chapter, the very next chapter, the God that answereth by fire, that Elijah, we read this Wednesday night, is out on the edge of the mountain. He comes out of the cave, and a fire comes through, an earthquake comes through, and a wind comes through, and the Lord was not in either one of them. Satan is even then trying to say, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Well, how come just the chapter before you didn't do it for your followers? Because he hates them, absolutely hates them. Doesn't care if they fall on their face, doesn't care whatsoever. Let the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. So the line is drawn in the sand. The, 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 the gauntlet's been cast. This is what it is. If God is God, if Baal is, ba- if Baal is God. You know, and he's talking about the name. You call on the name of your God. He's very intentional, very, uh, per, per, uh, very directional as far as what he's saying. Call on the name of your God. Make your entreaty and see what your request will be answered. And he puts this out there. You call on the name of your God, and they're calling for Baal. Now, you look at it. We were talking this other day about in Munich. Not in Munich. It was in Germany. I forgot which town it was in. But Ram's holding a set of meetings. Has a massive tent set up in a football stadium. And they're in the meeting that there are men, I think it was at seven men, I can't remember exactly what it was, that are scattered throughout the building. They're sitting there with the feather. These were witches. These men were witches. They're sitting there chanting in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the Holy Ghost. And they call up a storm. They called up through demon power a storm that is about to suck that, that, that tent off the ground and to destroy it. Actually did it. Actually had access to be able to call down the prince of the power of darkness, the prince of the power of air. And through them using the wrong name, they said, lend the name of, in the name of, in the name of, and had that much success. What would you do? 
How would you stop it? You've been called to put to flight the enemy. You've been called to put the enemy down. You've been called to push the fight to the enemy's gate. Not just, well, you know, your house is over there, my house is over here, we get in the fight, and I beat you here. You find the same thing. Well, their God's the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the plains. No, my God is God everywhere. It don't care where you're at. My God is God everywhere. In the hills, in the plains, in the valley, when I'm discouraged, when I'm down, when I'm depressed, no matter what I'm going through, sick as can be, my God's still God. So the prophet is sitting there. The storm is going. They're out there chanting. You can see them with their feathers, chanting, chanting, chanting. The wind that said the tent is picking up off the ground like that, about to be sucked away. He told his interpreter, he said, don't interpret what I'm about to say. And as he's sitting there and all this is going on, two things are going on at the same time. He's sitting there. The Lord shows him a vision of a woman, and he's looking in the audience trying to find her. He can't look everywhere he's looking. He cannot recognize her anywhere. Finally, he walks over, and she's down the bottom of the platform right there. They had these stretchers set up. She was sitting there strapped down to a a stretcher where she could not move an inch, could not flinch, could not do anything. And he told the man that was there, he said, loose her and let her go. And the doctor sitting beside her said, don't do that. Tuberculosis has eaten her spine completely through. If she moves, she's dead. He said, let her go. And he's like, but somebody else there actually started unstrapping her. The woman jumped up and took off running. And before that happened, he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, demon flee. All the wind just went back down. The clouds went away. And he was able to carry on with their meeting. But Satan's attack, if, if he'd have fell apart, if he'd have said, any of those things, if he'd have given up and went home, that woman that was right there would not have gotten her healing, would not have been delivered, would have not have had mercy granted to her like that. Satan is always on the attack. He walks around like a, like a roaring lion. He's not the roaring lion. The roaring lion don't always roar. The mighty lion doesn't always roar. We, we read that to you in uh, 1 Kings 19 last, uh, last Wednesday night, that you had the fire, you had the wind, you had the earthquake. That's literally exploding rocks. And here comes the creator of heavens and earth, and it's a still, small voice. Still, small voice. It's very interesting that, that just a, a month ago now, five weeks ago, whatever it was, Sister Erica came up for prayer one Wednesday night and asking prayer for one of her cousins that has been demon-possessed, that have demons that talk to her, all these different things. Is that right? Has, and she come up, asked prayer that God would deliver her. Just a couple weeks after that, she's talking to her mom and said that her grandmother, Sister Erica's grandmother, Sister Sherry's mom, had said, I need to tell you something about this girl. Now she's wanting to know the God of the Bible. She wants to know if God can still speak. And that woman's Baptist. She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you tonight, God still speaks. I can tell you right now, God still speaks. He's the same God as he's always been. If he did it right here, he does not change. He will do it right here. If he did it right here, he will do it right here. Same God. Same God. Same God. What I find so encouraging about that is I Googled it. It's 1,181 miles from right here to where that girl's at roughly. And three, two or three gather together in my name. If two or three are gathered in my, in my name, I'll be in their midst. Two or three, three gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask God mercy for that girl. And 1,181 miles away, demons had to let go. 
had to let go. It wasn't like, well, I don't know. No, they're like, whoa, that got hot fast. That got hot really, really fast. And we're back to, we're just normal. We're just ordinary. Demons are scared to death of you. They're scared to death. The prophet taught, he said, you'll get to a place where that Satan won't even know what to do with you. Just throw their hands up. They're awake again. They're awake again. Now what are we going to do? Maybe move the armies this way. Just get away from their house. Don't go near them. The Satan will tell you, no, you're supposed to be running, hiding in a cave. I'm not that day. This day's different. You're talking about his wife. He's very protective of his wife. You think he'll let some demon army come in and touch you? You don't know the God that you serve. He is God and only God. Only God. He is only God. All the people said, it's well spoken. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose you. Choose you one bullock for yourselves. Dress it first for your many. Call on the name of your Lord, your gods, but put no fire under. They took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning. Now, watch this time frame. From morning until even noon. From morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. They're listening for a voice. Does God still speak? Yes. They're listening for a voice. We think our God is God. Now we're going to do this for six hours from, well, from six to nine, whatever the time would have been, six to noon, six hours, seven o'clock, whatever time it was started, from the morning to the noontime. And they're crying and crying and they're looking for a voice and they're looking for a voice and they're looking for a voice. But what did the scripture say? There was no voice, nor any that answered. Oh, it gets more descriptive in just a minute. No voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. He mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God, right? Right, your God's a God, he's God. If he's God, okay, if he's God, maybe he's talking or he is pursuing or is he in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner. I'm going to stop on there just a minute. They cut themselves after their manner. This wasn't about, well, you know, we read an old witchcraft book years ago that if you cut yourself a certain way that maybe this will work. No, they do this frequently. It's called their manner. You know that it's told about the Lord Jesus? The Bible says it like this. As it was after his manner, he went to the temple on the Sabbath. He went to church. That it was his manner. That's what he did. He went to church. That, that's what the Bible says. After his manner. And now you have their manner where we're going to cut ourselves after our manner. How many times you've heard of demonic possessions, people cutting themselves? Same demons. Demons don't change either. That they're cutting themselves with manner with knives and lances until the blood not dripped, not trickled, but gushed. Gushed out. It gushed out upon them. They hit an artery. They hit an artery. It gushed out upon them. And it come to pass when midday, we started in the morning, we hit noon, now we're in midday. We're to the midday that it's passed. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, and there was neither voice, watch this, there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regardeth. They could not just hear him. 
There could not just get an answer, but there was no one that even cared. Again, Satan hates you. Satan don't love nobody. Satan, they don't care if you worship Satan every minute, every second, every hour, every week, every month, every year of your life, Satan still hates you. Satan cannot promise you healing. He cannot promise you redemption. He cannot promise, he can't give you nothing. He hates you. I shared that sermon that Brother Donnie preached last weekend for the Jason Watkins in that marvelous success for a WhatsApp group. And in that sermon, he said, you realize that, that because the Bible teaches that Satan has blinded the eyes of this world, they've blinded their hearts, that he made it where they can't see God, that in these people that are, that are in that house of Satan, that if, that if he ever could pull back and let them see God, period, pull back, let them see God, period, they would serve him solely out of fear. They were serving, whoa, that's the only thing that's real. That's the only thing that's God. I, I serve him out of fear. This is true. What happens in the millennium? Satan is bound away by a chain of circumstances. Satan can't blind their eyes anymore, and they have no choice. You will come and worship. We're going to worship. You have no choice. They see who God is God. There's no wondering, oh, is God real? Does God care? No, we know God is God. We've watched him burn everything else up. God is God. What do you require? We're on our way. Their heart isn't for them, but they've got enough sense to serve him. So even in that, if they were ever allowed to see the love of God or the grace of God and his mercy, Satan has blinded their eyes. Is the scripture true or not? Satan has blinded their eyes. Now, again, back to our our, our, our intentional putting an emphasis on this verse. It come to pass when midday was passed that they prophesied until the time, that's italicized, of the offering of the evening sacrifice. They come to uh, prophesied until the time of the evening sacrifice, the offering of the evening sacrifice. Now, the Bible teaches in Zechariah, it covers it in Isaiah 61, Isaiah 60, about in the last days there will be gross darkness, but in the evening time there will be light. In the evening time there will be light. It's a very perfect type of our day. If there was an Elijah then, there would be an Elijah now because God's the same. That at the evening time there will be light. But it's not only that. Isaiah 60 prophesies in the first one, two, and three verses that the entire world is covered in gross darkness. It's not just dark, but it would be considered gross or complete or apparent or thoroughly covered darkness everywhere you look the bible said that in that day there will be coming a famine not a famine of food and water but a famine of hearing the word again satan blinded the eyes the ears the mouth that you name it satan's blinded everything so that people can't unstop their ears to hear the living god jehovah they blind everything he said but at the evening time in the darkest of every day there's ever been there will be light and the scripture does not stop there. That it just says, oh, there's light. No, no, no. They said when he comes, that he'll, when the, as a word that, when the son of righteousness, when he rises with healing in his wings, the son of righteousness arises with healing in his wing. The Bible says a new day is dawned. A new day. At the same time, though, Isaiah 60, verse 1, the whole world is covered in darkness. At the same time. God is, God, God is very good at paradoxes. He's very good. On one hand, 
it can get no blacker. It can get no darker. It can get no blinded. It can get no more than what it is, completely darked out, completely out in there. But at the same time, over here in Revelation chapter 4, where you've been picked up into what the prophet would say is the bright age, into that, that secret coming, into that place with him, that hidden life with Christ, all you see is light. All you see is light. But if you look outside, all you see is darkness. Then you look back inside, and all you see is light. What a paradox. Until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, and again, neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Okay, just to check our time. We've started in the morning, we've come to the noon, the midday, and now it's evening. It's at the evening time that Elijah steps up to prove who is God. At the evening time, at the end of the seven church ages, at the end of the wrapping and the fulfilling of all those days, Elijah steps out to prove who is God. Would there be a need of it in our day? Can you think of anything out there where there's more, uh, uh, more error in the word, more uh, watering down, more lying on God, more uh, twisting of his word, more removing it? He don't say that. He didn't mean that. It ain't that. It ain't that. It ain't that. Then ever right now, there's never been a time on this planet that this has been twisted and lied about more than right now. So if that's true, then God, who is rich in mercy, would send a way to restore everything that was taken away. Joel talks about, I will restore, not saith the prophet, but saith the Lord. I will restore because in Satan's Eden, the darkest time there's ever will be, I will get me a bride. I will rapture her. She will be perfect. She'll be spotless, blemishless. She will believe all that I am. There'll be no doubt in her in the darkest of all ages. The prophet said, Eve fell. We understand that. He said, in the perfect situation, in the be- every day she woke up, she had a good day. Every day she woke up, she was not sick. There was never a time that Eve was sick. Every single day was a perfect day. Every single day, her day, well, how's your day going? You have a good day? No, I'm having a perfect day because it was perfect. And she fell. You have bad days. You have hard times. You have hard trials. You have days that you have to get up, open the furnace of fire, walk in, shut it behind you, and walk right through it. You have days of that. But he said, I'll get me a bride in the worst day there's ever been, and she'll believe me. And there'll be no doubt, and she'll love me. I get all her heart. He said, I'll get all her heart. Verse 30, Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. Well, they just want him to follow a man. That's probably what that means. He just wanted, oh, you're just following a man. That's all you're doing is you're worshiping a man. No, the Bible, just keep watching, pay attention. Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people come near unto him. And now he started telling them how good Elijah was, all the things that I've done, all the droughts, all the different things. See how good of a man I am, not one time. He said, don't even look at me. I'm going to show you God. And once I show you God, if you believe me, if I can get you to believe me, then you'll have God. Then what was Brother Bram told in that cave? He said, if you can get the people to believe you, nothing will stand before your prayer, not even cancer. 
He said, nothing will stand. The angel of the Lord told William Branham, if you can get the people to believe you, nothing will stand before your prayer, not even cancer. The, the, in the message, do you fear cancer? Brother Branham makes it like this. He said, okay, nothing. No, wait, even cancer? Cancer is the biggest thing we had at the time. Can't, and the angel of the Lord said, not even cancer. Nothing will stand before your prayer. And again, just one man. That was just one man to show you what's available. That promise was also to you. That promise was unto you. That promise was to you. It wasn't just held off to a prophet 60, 70 years ago. That prophet was allowed to be to show you, just like Peter. Is that you, Lord? All right, I'll do it too. I'll do it too. Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me, and all the people come near unto him. They listened. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, the prophets of Baal just built them a new altar. You read that. They just built them one. Right here, he repaired it. See, the Elijah of our day will restore the hearts of the children to the hearts of the father, hearts of the father of the children. It will restore that. Not come to build a new message, not to come bring any new Jesus, to be restoring back to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Restore. <clears throat> he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, pay very close attention to this as we move through verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. So he's telling you, the reader, this is why he has 12 stones. And every time before this, even uh, God, Elohim, speaking to Moses on the mountain, where we, we kind of skipped ahead there in Exodus 1, but in Exodus 9, we said earlier, but God told him, he said, who will I tell them sent me? Who will I say that sent me? They're not going to believe me. He said, you tell them I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every time God is dealing with his people, I'm God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was a failure. Jacob fell flat on his face. Jacob fell down. Jacob made mistakes all the time, and everybody knew it. But when God goes to speak to here, he's talking about that the Lord came and saying, Israel will be thy name. I heard a brother say recently that the reason why at Peniel that Jacob had to get a new name is because Jacob died. Jacob died there at Peniel. Not his body. His, all that Jacob was, the liar, the con man, the old man died so that somebody that stood there now has to have a new name. And so God says, that old man died. Praise the Lord. I'm going to call you a prince. That's what God said. God looked at a believer and said, I'm going to call you a prince. But he would remind his people, you make mistakes. You fall down. Keep getting up. I'm the God. I'm the redeemer. I'm the restorer. Keep getting up. Keep getting up. Keep getting up. But when he goes to speak to his enemies, listen how he lays this up, that the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with these 12 stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar. Listen to the, the mercy of God right here. You've got your altar. You've got where the sacrifice will be made. And what God had him do, he also has him dig a trench around the altar and fill that up with water as well. Watch the mercy of God. He, he uh, made a trench about the altar as great as will contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order. Now, I like that line for a specific reason. The Bible says that you're a tree of the field. Psalms declares, the trees of the field shall clap their hands. 
And you understand that he's talking about you, that you are just like uh, the, 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 Bible, the Psalms again talks about, that you, as a believer of God, a son or daughter of God, will be as a tree planted by the waters. As a tree planted by the waters. And that tree is where you get wood from. And Elijah, the prophet, put the wood in order. Now, and again, unless you believe that man's a prophet, you won't understand what I'm saying. Uh, this prophet of this day was given the ability to put the church into order. You give a church order. It's this. This is how you conduct yourself in the house of the Lord. This is how you conduct yourself in the house of the Lord. This is how you conduct yourself in the house of the Lord. Well, can I not just do anything I want? Not if you want to live. Oh, it's not like that, is it? Let's go back to the, the, the temple in the wilderness. You need a bell and you need a pomegranate. That way, if you do something wrong, you're struck dead and drag your body out. He put the wood in order. He cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water. Keep up with the math now. Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Now, again, four is a earthly number, the prophet taught us. It's an earthly number. It means deliverance. Though number four means deliverance, all the numbers mean something. It means deliverance. Take four barrels and pour it on the sacrifice. It means deliverance for the people. Take four barrels, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. Now we're up to two. Then they did it the second time. And then he said, he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. Now what's three times four? Four barrels, three times, 12 barrels of water, just like 12 stones, just like 12 apostles, just like the 12, four and 20 elders sitting before the throne. You find those numbers of God before the altar all the time. And that altar is worship. That altar is restored worship. Restored worship. Jesus told the woman of the well, he said, you cannot even worship God unless you worship him in spirit. Most people say, yeah, spirit. And truth. And truth. You can't, I worship um, the God of the trees, the wind, the, the car, the, any of these things. Oh, I got the spirit. I get so, these people, these other, these prophets are so enthusiastic. They've got so much spirit. They're frothing at the mouth. They're screaming. They're jumping up and down the altar. They're cutting themselves. That's, you would think they have the spirit on them, but no truth. No truth. Jesus said, you in vain worship me. You worship me in vain. Okay. If you're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in vain, if you're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in vain and he will not receive that worship, where does the worship go? Where does it go? If you're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in vain and he said you worship in vain, I will not accept that. He said it's a stink in my nostrils. Where does it go? If you were to turn to Isaiah chapter 14, and you find out Satan's idea, Satan's plan. He said, I will sit in the temple of the Most High. I will have me a throne there. I will get unto me worship just like the Most High. He said, I will get it. That's the truth. That's the scripture's truth. So why would he not twist people up? Well, if you do it this way, you'll actually be able to worship him better. If you do it this way, you'll be able to worship him better. And then all that worship does not go to God. It goes to Satan. The scripture teaches this. Oh, no, but they're, they're singing these songs for you know, this and this and this. He said, no, your heart's far from me, one. You're not worshiping in truth for two. So we've got four barrels, 
poured out three times, giving 12 times, 12, 12 dousings, 12 fully saturated, fully, fully, fully saturated. Verse 35, it was also a, a, almost a type of the third pool, three times, three times, three times. The water ran, about, ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, there we are again, that Elijah the prophet came near, and he says this, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. That's not what he said? No, before his enemies, he said, God of Israel. He said, I redeemed him. I restored him. Jacob ain't Jacob no more. Is that just a typo? Is that a mess up? No, God's saying, I restored him. I restored him. He ain't that man no more. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, of Israel. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, and that I've done all these things at thy word. I heard uh, Brother Ram just saying a message this morning. I was reading that a guy told him that Brother Ram, that, that Elijah never did anything by a uh, vision, that God never told, that he said that God never told Elijah to do this. That's what the man was telling Brother Ram. He was a minister of some kind. He said that God never told him to do that. He said, but when he says that I've done all these things at thy word, who's he talking to then? This wasn't Elijah's idea. He getting around, you know what? When we get up in the morning, we're going to go down there. We're going to build this and build this and build this, and then we'll just see what happens. No, God said, when you get up in the morning, you will go down there. You will do this. You'll get four barrels. You'll dump them three times. You'll build the altar. You'll restore the altar this way, and this is what's going to happen. God showed him my vision. This is what will happen. And he says this in verse 36. I've done all these things at thy word. I've done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Break. Stop right there. That thou hast turned their heart again. This is a testimony. He said, Lord, I've done these things and the people believe. I've done these things and the people believed. Because if they had not have believed in what this man just said, if it was not true, then the next verse would not have happened. The very next verse, thou hast turned their heart back again. Then verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. Then the fire of the Lord fell because they believed it. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones. You ever seen stones get burned up? And the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Licked up the water that was in the trench. See, to me, Jesus talked about the rainfall on the just and the unjust, that God waters the wheat and the tares. This is what I'm meaning about God having pour all of this on the altar, but not just on the altar. I need you to dig me a trench out there that way that whomsoever will will come up and drink of the water of life freely that I will water the tear, just like Cain. He told Cain, if you'll just do like your brother did, I'll accept you too. That's God rich in mercy. God rich in mercy. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. See, Abraham, I mean, uh, Pharaoh kept saying, thy Lord, the Lord, he is thy God. The Lord, he is thy, you read that, the Lord, he is thy God. These people are saying, no, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. 
And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. They took them. Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and drink. Get thee up and drink, for there is a sound, there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, the other prophets of Baal, they're looking for a voice. They're looking for something to vindicate, to prove what they're doing because God's alive. And if God does anything, that God will vindicate what he does. It's just the truth. It's just the scripture. He tells him that there's a sound of abundance of rain. Now, in our day, the prophet Elijah was allowed to preach in that latter rain, that falling of the Lord that he pour out upon his people. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth. This is what he did. He dropped down to his knees, and he puts his face between his knees. Not only is he on his knees, I don't even think I can do that. I don't think I can put my, I'm just too, too tight or whatever. But he drops down. Talk about prostrating yourself before the Lord. Fell down on his face, on his knees, and buries his face in the ground. Buries his face in the ground. Because the way up is down. And he said, he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now and look. Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. Then Elijah said, go again seven times. Go again seven times. Look toward the sea seven times. That's interesting. Revelations 2 and Revelations 3 is talking about seven church ages. At the end of seven church ages, something happens. Actually, something happens in Revelations 10.1 that says someone come down, put his foot upon the sea, and put his foot upon the shore. Someone did. And he said, go and look. And he said, there's nothing. He said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, again, he's looking toward the sea. This is Revelations 10.1 right here. He's looking toward the sea. The prophet is telling his servant, go look toward the sea. And he's went seven times. And he says that as he came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea. And again, we don't have a picture of the cloud. We got to get a picture of the cloud. That there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea. And he said, like a man's hand. A cloud. You see, in Revelation 10.1 talks about him being clothed with a cloud and a rainbow above his head. And in his hand, a little book open. A little book open. That he has a little book open. My goodness. And he said, go up. Say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot. Get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Hadn't even started raining yet. But he said, go do it. Rain's coming. Rain is coming. It's here. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind. There was a great rain. Ahab rolled and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, I want to go back to this that we was working on um, Wednesday night. And I'll quote uh, where Brother Bram was reading here out of Revelation chapter 10.1. And actually, Revelation chapter 10, 2. And he had in his hand a little book open. He said, now here. He said, it was closed here and sealed before that in, in, in Daniel's prophecy, in, uh, in Revelations 4 and, and Revelations 2 and 3, even in Revelations 1. He said, it was closed here and sealed, but right here in Revelations 10, 1 through 7, that it's open. It's been opened. This will be out of uh, the breach, Sister Erica, out of the breach. 
Now, comma, here, comma. Am I get it? Now, comma, here, comma. He said it was closed here and sealed, but right here in the Revelations 10, it's open. He said, since the time of the sealing, he said, we're getting into it tonight. Now, this is how the breach, this between God hiding himself in simplicity and the, the breach between the seven church ages and the seven seals. This is in that message, the breach. He had in his hand a little book in his hand. It was open. He said, wait just a minute. He said he had in his hand a little book open. He said his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the earth. He cried with a loud voice. With a loud voice, as when a lion roar, he said, we know he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Over here, he's the lamb, but he's still the lion. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, John was commissioned to write what he saw, so the apostle and prophet picked up his pen to write it. It's a bit more. Picked up his pen to write There you go right there. Picked up his pen to write it. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Now, that's what we don't know. That's a yet to be revealed. It's not in the Holy Script what them thunders said. The angel which I saw stand upon the sea, upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created the heavens and the things that therein are and the earth and the things therein are and there should be time no longer. Who is that? That's the Logos. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's swearing by. And you'll see in a minute that's who he is. He said, now here's a verse. In the days, this is Revelation 10, verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. Nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. Now, none of this matters to you unless you believe the man on the left, that prophet. None of this matters to you. If you don't believe that, then you just, you'll let you one way or not the other. But if you believe that's who that one on the left is, that that's who that seventh angel message is. He said, now see, the mystery of this seventh seal book will be revealed at the sounding of the seven church angels' message. The seventh angel begins to sound. There is the message is rolled out there. We got it in tape and in book form. At the beginning of the sounding of the message, the mystery of God should be finished. At that time, the book of the mystery of God, he said, was not revealed until the seventh angel message is sounded. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 39, paragraph 39. He said, now it's wrote. It's mysterious because no man nowhere knows it, God alone. Now, we just started out with that quote from Christ the mystery. Brother Brown said that God hid it in every part of the Bible. Yes, it was hidden. No doubt. No, no, no argument there. It was hidden, but God hid it in every type of the Bible. So once that Bible is opened up, you can see him in every type in the Bible. So he said, it's wrote, it's mysterious because no man nowhere knows it, God alone. He said, Jesus Christ. He said, see, it's a book. It's a mysterious book. It's the book of redemption. And now we know that this book of redemption will not be thoroughly understood. It's been probed at through six church ages. But at the end, when the seventh angel begins to sound his mystery, his mystery, he winds up all of the loose sins that these fellows probed them and the mysteries comes down from God as the word of God and reveals the entire revelation of God. 
The entire. So you think about our brothers in the sixth church age before that. The, the book wasn't open. Now, and you imagine trying to read a book and you can get peeled back. Oh, I see that God is, he's this. And man, I wish I could get that open a little bit more. Oh, I can see that he's that. You get a glimpse. Paul describes him like this. He said, I see him as in a glass darkly. As if, you know, I try to read a newspaper through that stained glass. Can you read a newspaper through that stained glass? You can't read through it. But once it becomes clear, you see it clearly. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you say, okay, I see who he is. I see who he is. He said when he begins to sound, he winds up all the loose ends that these fellows probed at. The mysteries come down from God as the word of God and reveals the entire revelation of God. Then the Godhead, everything else is settled. All the mysteries, serpent seed, whatever more is to be revealed. That's the truth. Paragraph 40. Now you see. I'm not, I'm just not making that up. It's thus saith the Lord. I'll read it to you out of the book. The sounding of the seventh angel's mystery, a message, the mystery of God should be finished. That's been declared by his holy prophets. That's the prophets who wrote the word at the sounding of the seventh church age, the last church ages, all the loose ends that through these church ages have been probed at will be wound up together. So if you've got something that you're trying to make a braid and you started at the top and you started your braid down here, everything else is still all, all, all frayed together. But when it's all wrapped up and pulled together, no, you have Jesus saying that a threefold cord is not easily broken, but a onefold cord is. But once it's all wrapped together and you are all wound up in him, you track me now? You are not just wound up in your flesh and your struggle. No, I'm all wrapped up in Christ. I'm all wrapped up. I'm all surrendered. I'm all declared by him. You're made up of a body, of a soul, of a spirit. And most of your life, you've been at war with yourself, with your body. Paul would say, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, he's like, I do them all the time. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. But once your body and your spirit and your soul is lined up and in perfect harmony, perfectly pulled together, which can only be done by him, the one on the right, only can be done by him. And you stand there perfectly wrapped up in Christ. Perfect flow between you and him. Nothing between you and him. See, he told Peter, he asked him this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, no doubt. And he said, flesh and blood didn't tell you this. Nobody, no Catholics for sure didn't say, hey, Peter, that's, um, that's the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, no, nobody told you that. That's a revelation that was given to you from our father who is in heaven. That revelation that given to him from God. And now this word, this prophet, the revelation 10 is saying that at this time, at this consummation of the ages, everything is wrapped up, pulled up and perfectly in view when this happens. When this happens, everything that's been probed at. Now, paragraph 41. When the seals are broke, the seals are broke, 1963. 1963, those seals were broke. When the seals were broke, you'll admit that's happened. That's past tense. That's done. We're about to be, uh, this week will be 60-year anniversary. What day would it start? Um, the 17th. Whatever day the 17th will be 60 years since March of 1963, March 17, 1963. It'll be 60 year anniversary. So you know the seals are broke. The mystery is revealed. Down comes the angel. You reading that? Down comes the angel, the messenger, Christ, setting his foot upon the land 
and upon the sea with a rainbow over his head. And again, we need a picture of the cloud. February 28, 1963, down comes the angel. He said that he's sitting there. He puts his foot upon the land, puts his foot upon the sea with a rainbow over his head. Now remember, this seventh angel is on earth at the time of this coming. On earth at the time of this coming. Amen. 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 Just as John was given his message, the same time that Messiah comes in those days, John knew he would see him because he was going to introduce him. Now, the prophet taught that the only way that John recognized him, and not that he didn't know who Jesus was, being his cousin, but he would never have said, that's him, that's the one I'm sent to prepare the way for. The only way he was allowed to see him, the prophet said, because he had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If he had not been given the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he would never have been allowed to see the Lord Jesus. He would have been, okay, next. Oh, Jesus, it's you. Okay, have a good day. No, he said, that's him. That's him. That's him. That's him. And Malachi chapter 3 says that this, that, that John the Baptist, he'll say, I'll send Elijah before my face. That third use of Elijah's spirit that we started out talking about earlier, that first use, that third use that was sitting there that baptized Jesus and said, that's him. And then in 1933, over the Ohio River with a thousand people watching, a man was baptizing the 17th person. He's baptizing. He's in the water. They said a ball of fire comes down out of the heavens and a voice speaks out of that ball of fire that said, just as John the Baptist forerun the first coming of Christ, your ministry will forerun the second coming of Christ. And I just, you just agreed that John said, that's him right there. That's him right there. This fourth use of that Elijah spirit in the message, it's the rising of the sun. He points at that cloud, that revelation in one. He said, that's our Lord. That's him. Come down. It's the rising of the sun. That's that message. He said, that's our Lord. It's come down. So paragraph 43, and we realize that in the scriptures over Malachi 4, there's to be one like John and Elijah to whom the word of God can come to. And he is to reveal by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and verses 6. He is to reveal um, by the Holy Spirit, all the mysteries of God and restore the faith of the children back to the faith of the apostolic fathers, restore back all these mysteries that's been probed dead through these denominational years. Now, what's the word said? He said, that's what the word said. I'm just responsible for what it said. These aren't our words. This isn't my idea. This is what God said. And we love it. Praise the Lord, we love it. Amen. Let's all stand on our feet this morning. We have our musicians come. What a mighty God we serve. He never intended to leave you alone. He never intended to leave you wondering, and is it this, is it that? He said, no, I make myself plain unto you. And it's glorious in our sight. Glorious in our sight. Amen. Let's sing that song, O Glorious Mystery. Uh, it, it's who I am, Lord, who I am. Oh, glorious mystery, the day he set me free and he made my life his very throne. 
My life is no longer mine. I'm a prisoner of love divine. And now I'm dead. And past is made for me. Oh, I can see now just who I am. It's revelation.
where the revelation is perfect we in harmony and God expressing it through his word by the same actions, the same things that he did, making the word manifest. Oh, he said, if the church only knew his position, he said it will one day, then the rapture will go when it knows what it is. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, this isn't nothing that we've done. This isn't by any ability of ours. This isn't by any worth of ours. This, Lord, this is by your solely divine faith. We love you. We appreciate you, Father. We thank you for your mercy to us, Lord, for your grace, for letting us see what you've done in our day, Lord, for letting us believe it, not just see it, not just be able to read it like a newspaper, but, Lord, to be able to believe it and to be able to put it to work in our daily lives. In this fight that we're in, Lord, in this great expression of your attributes, where no longer the Word has just been made one flesh, but the Word has been made many flesh and dwelling among us now, Lord. Your prophet would call it the bride coming of Christ. Lord, we believe your Word. We know that there's, your prophet had taught that you didn't finish up everything in your first coming, Lord, but you've left a part for your wife to do that you might be able to express yourself in her. Lord, we believe this is the truth. We don't believe that we'll be running. We don't believe we'll be hiding. We don't believe we'll be scared of the devil. We'll be able to stand there and rebuke any house of hell, any lie of the enemy, and stomp on Satan's head just like you did because we'll look like you. We talk like you. We smell like you. Everything of us is only you. We surrender to you, Lord. We submit all of our thoughts, all of our own ideas. We're surrendering all of that we are, Lord. No more I here. It's only you. We love you so much for allowing this to happen in your people. Please bless our brothers and sisters today, Lord. Bless them as they travel uh, to and fro the rest of the day. Be with them. Let your mercy and your grace go with them, Father. For those that are homesick, Lord God, I pray you would touch them and inspire their faith so strongly that they get up out of that bed, Lord, and walk just as well as they've ever been. I claim that for my brothers and sisters that by your stripes we are healed. Lord, we accept that. We pray that you would be with us until we come back on Wednesday, Lord. And I pray that when we come back on Wednesday, that we'll be prayed up, we'll be dedicated to the service, we'll be ready to hear what you have for us then. And it's not just going home and burning out and come back and getting more, Lord, but be able to take this word and pile on top of more word and a more experience and a more of an atmosphere and more of an environment with you. That way that when we leave this service to next service, it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Your word is not dead, you are not dead, and you always confirm your word. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us, Father. We'll give you all the grace and honor and glory. Bless us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Who I am, oh, I can see, just who I am. I'm a part of his dream, I'm a part of his word. It's a revelation of who I am. Lord, for who I am, I can see now. Oh, who I am.
I'm a part of the Savior and a part of His work. It's a revelation of who I am, for who I am, for who I am. Oh, I can see now oh, who I am. I'm a part of the Savior and a part of His Word. It's a revelation of who I am. Trying to make it fun, oh, and I just want you, oh, Lord, I'm running, and trying to make a home, and I God, I'm running, I'm trying to make a hundred, and I have Oh, Lord, I'm running. I'm trying to make a hundred. Oh, Lord, I'm running. I'm trying to make a hundred. Oh, Lord, I'm running. I'm trying to make a hundred. Oh, dear. 